Andrew, thank you for taking the time to be with us today. Um, would just love to have you give a brief introduction into who you are, um, what you do, and then we can kind of drill down into what sure. QQ is all about. Sure, right, yeah. Um, I'm Andrew McDonald, I'm based in the UK. Um, I've been an executive coach for more than 15 years now, working with large corporations. For the last three or four years, I've been developing a physiological lens to executive performance with the intention of creating a, a profiling capability that mirrors the psychometric profiles that we're all very familiar with. Uh, and from that, we've built PQ, the physiological quotient, uh, as both a company and as a concept to sit alongside IQ and EQ as a key pillar of executive performance analysis, development, coaching, and support. Um, and we have um, an HRV-based measurement tool, uh, which uh, very accurately to research grade quality picks up particularly the stress and recovery profiles of the autonomic nervous system uh, and builds out into a bigger profile of physiological response to the environment. And then we take that back in and link it to broader IQ and EQ performance drivers. So just to make sure I understand correctly, you're basically equipping managers, leaders, executives, whoever it is. And is this open to the general public or is this kind of reserved for high level executives? Uh, it's open to the general public. It's priced probably more towards the higher value end of your corporate executive profile. Um, it's pretty intense. It's mirror, it mirrors what elite athletes, are pro how they are profiled as well. It's been built out of an elite athlete uh, physiological uh, assessment profiling and tweaked to be relevant and usable by executives in an executive lifestyle. So... Let's say that uh, I run through the program with PQ and I, I get the data back. Is that, is that kind of coming back to me in real time or do I, do I use the HRV tool for 30 days and then I kind of get a view of how yeah. I'm performing? Yeah, we, we create a baseline. It's seven days of HRV measurement, coincidental with seven days of self-reporting. We have a uh, a digital platform which you report into, which is also an analytic tool. It's used by the US Olympic team. It's a, it's a very powerful platform. Uh, the data is then downloaded from the device, which is returned to us, uh, and we generate a report usually within a week of receiving the device back. So within uh, the turnaround, and then there is a coaching session on top of that. Which in turn so that's kind of like the, the next steps once I get my data and you guys analyze it, is to sit down with your team and really drill into where I'm doing well, where I actually have room to perform, uh, improve, or even, you know, does it give you insights into like, hey, like you're actually primed to be doing better in this area. You could actually be working no, no, we, Yeah, the individual profiling is very important. There's a lot of generic provision in the well-being space, but actually what we establish from the data we've been gathering is that your PQ is as individual as your fingerprint. You're very, very primed to your genetic profile, your experiential profile, and then ultimately your ability to change and your commitment to address. So those are the three elements. Uh, and everybody has a different mix and a different starting point. There are yeah. some general messages 
that we can give and we can, and I can run through those. But the bottom line is absolutely what we're trying to do is to give people an idea of what the, where they are today uh, and where they benchmark against peers, because we've got a lot of data to compare people uh, within our system relative to the individuals that we measure. Okay, so the system is is really building on itself by benchmarking previous. Oh, cool, cool. So what do you like, what are you, I would love to hear kind of what those general themes are that you mentioned, but do you believe it, you know, do people have a general endowment for the ability to uh, leverage stress for import, for performance, improved performance, or it, can anyone really take advantage of, you know, uh, improving their PQ profile, um, you know, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, the first thing is you have to measure it before you can manage it. So that's why we do that first. But once you've got your profile, you can address some of your perception issues. I mean, I, I'm working with someone in an hour and a half's time on the West Coast, um, and he self-reports about 25% lower than the HRV device reports his, his actual capacity. So he recovers much better than he feels. So there's a perception issue. So some people are held back by perception and the narrative they tell themselves. Some people, by contrast, are very emotionally driven and run their bodies to fatigue because they think their physiology can support their level of enthusiasm. And actually we can show a lot of individuals that they can't. Um, one of the key metrics that we have is the hours of recovery during a working day that an executive generates. And Typically, you're going to need about three hours of recovery to keep yourself on track during a working day. The average in our database is below two hours. And there are a number of executives we measure who have literally zero parasympathetic dominance during a whole working day, which means they're stress on for 14, 15 hours a day, which is, as you'd imagine, very disruptive to their ability to perform. Yeah, totally. Um, so I'm wondering obviously like the last 18 months have brought a ton of probably outside or lay person attention to this concept of workplace wellness. What does that actually mean? How have you, how, how has that benefited, you know, your ability to increase awareness, um, bring the average person into these kind of concepts to improve their performance? Um, are you still seeing resistance or friction with this concept? Uh, of course, um, you know, it, people, people are validated by their performance. We're working with people who do well anyway. So they found a way, a bit like a golfer finds their way, you know, a, a sort of 10 handicap golfer finds their way around the golf course. Are they ever gonna be able to compete with a pro? No, because they've never, broken down their game and worked on the real structural weaknesses. And I suppose one of the challenges that we bring is that we're saying, yeah, you have a, a recharge level of on average 65% in our executive database. So most people relative to their potential recharge every morning to 65%. Now, can you get through a working week like that? Absolutely. Can you peak at 95% of your capacity when you really need to? and an online presentation or a town hall or a customer pitch? Almost certainly not. And what we can show is that that margin is the margin of performance differential that is what distinguishes an NFL high performer with your average college 
player who never makes it in the in the pro leagues. You have to be committed to make yourself that bit better. This is at the margin of performance. Yeah. So do you think that uh, tools like PQ and others, is it squeaking out just a few extra percent of improvement or is there opportunity for just the average person who maybe never thought they could become that quote unquote NFL performer? Could, could, does anyone have the potential in your opinion to really maximize their performance significantly? Absolutely. I'll give you one shocking data point. In our database, nearly 80% of the executives we measure do not record a minute of recovery during their three meal times each day. All right, so meal times, if you go to an Olympic training camp, lunchtime, breakfast, these are recovery environments, right? They are structured in a way to prepare you for your next performance. The average executive sits at their desk, they grab some pretty poor quality nutrition, probably a lot of carbohydrate, shove it down their throat, swill it down with coffee and sugar and cream, and think that's getting them ready for the afternoon. Actually, all it does is raise the stress on their body. So. There are some simple wins in restructuring your day that the average individual can look at. The other thing is recognizing that high effort requires a proportionate level of recovery. If you, if you have a big sales pitch for an hour, it's gonna take a lot out of you, just as if you put in a, a set of, in, in the gym. And expecting your recovery just to happen without any management is frankly illogical. And we see the evidence of that. Wow. Um, so speaking to that, how, what are some of the ways you work with clients to restructure their day? And maybe what are some simple ways that any person, regardless of profession, could, could apply to their own lives or just their daily habits? Right. One, sleep really matters. So you should score your sleep when you wake up. Because if you've had a bad night's sleep, it will affect your resilience through the day. You will need to have more recovery during the day to compensate for the bad night's sleep. You know, or, and, and that means being pragmatic. Sometimes you need to restructure your diary. Take the important meeting out of the day after a bad night's sleep. Re reset it for the, for the following day if you can. Don't just allow, just don't try put your head down and think I can manage my way through it. Because at some point, that builds up that surplus of stress relative to recovery is what fatigue is. And eventually that starts impairing performance. So that would be one thing, monitoring your sleep, being aware of it. Two, have a clear idea of what are stressors in your working day. Yeah? Just start monitoring them more closely. It could be someone you have to deal with. It could be certain situations and recognize that the response to having to do that is to create some recovery in anticipation of it and afterwards. Going into high stress situations already stressed leads to poor performance. And if you're a salesperson, for instance, you know, if you've got a difficult customer, don't think you can come off a long, hard telephone call with another difficult customer and perform immediately afterwards. It's, it's, it's illogical, it'd be like, asking a 400 meter runner to do two at max and then do another one straight afterwards. It's just not gonna happen. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, so how, like, obviously you're working primarily with maybe more executive level people. How have you seen, like what's been the trickle off effect of maybe their subordinates coming to PQ or 
how have those executives taken their experience and applied it at the team level? Well, one of the interesting things is they realize that each one of their teams has a PQ profile, right? So they're beginning to look and see how that, that person's low energy in the mornings, do they have a sleep problem? And so they ask the question as managers because they've, they're asking them question, the question of themselves. So that's, that's a major benefit. The other thing is <clears throat> they're asking whether their management culture or the, the culture they've created in their team is optimal. Does it have the things that they need to perform? And if it doesn't, then it's almost certainly not got the things that their colleagues need as well. So encouraging people to be more open about how their well-being is, you know, for instance, I'll give you an example. We measured a, a female executive. She was married. Uh, she had three young kids and she, and she, she, she her husband was facing redundancy. Right. We measured her and her self-reported perception of stress was very low because she only measured the stress she perceived in the workplace. Right. So she thought, well, I had a quiet week at work. So she put very low scores on that. And she thought that she recovered pretty well. Well, the HRV device told her that her recovery was shocking and her stress levels were 30 or 40 percent higher than average and benchmarked. Guess what? That's not a surprise. She, her life was very stressed. She had three kids working homeschooling. She, she had an in economic insecurity and she wasn't measuring any of that in an individual basis. So encouraging your team to be more transparent about the real total stress load they have in their life can allow you to be a better manager. <coughs> yeah. Um, so... <clears throat> Jennifer Moss, I'm not sure if you're familiar with her. She writes, she's a journalist, writes for HBR. And she said that, you know, 50% uh, of our working day or our waking day is spent at work. So I think there's just this narrative around stress is a result of my work. But how do we, how do you think we actually, and you mentioned it right here, that stress is not just burnout is not just the result of our work, but it's really the result of a number of stressors in our life. It's a very holistic type of thing. It's coming from home, bringing that to work, taking it back home with me. Like you mentioned, the economic disadvantage. Uh, how are you seeing, uh, how are you equipping people or how do you see people, you know, taking these tools home with them and, and viewing stress yeah. in a holistic way? Look, I think, I think <clears throat> some things are quite simple. We work with a finance director, a CFO of a, of a major business, and he was a very motivated individual. We actually did it. We have a, a burnout scale, and we measured him as a, as a, as a diagnostic ahead of him PQ profile. And what was interesting was that his engagement was very high with the business, very motivated, very active. But his exhaustion measures, the red, the, the red flashing lights were rising. He was tired in the morning. He was unengaged with colleagues. He was moaning about work more often. Interestingly, during when, when we profiled him, we discovered that he was three times a week at a five in the morning getting a personal trainer to come around and... Uh, knock seven bells out of him in a, in, a, in a pretty aggressive training program. Now that personal trainer was doing what he was paid for, which is raise my fitness. But in the context of his overall stress 
it was too much because physical exercise is a stress. And there was just a profile of someone who was overloading with stress and believing that somehow it would all come together at the end. What he saw very quickly as an intelligent data-driven individual is that he needed to rebalance. If he was gonna work out, he needed a different structure to the working day that he was working out because the total volume of stress was too much. And I think what I'm saying is the opportunity for us to restructure our working days is available to us if we use our brains. You know, if you start thinking, and work, work is not all stress, work is recovery as well, because recovery will deliver more stress, if you see what I mean. I mean, uh, we, we, we measured a live broadcaster, right? Live TV presenter. And she had a very big live show that she was going on two days before, completely, you know, unconsciously, she added five hours of recovery to her working day, built up, her, her reserves and delivered 90% peak stress live on TV. But the next day, she slept two hours longer than average. So she, rather like a performance athlete, was managing her peaks with recovery and in anticipation and after. So bookending peak performance. People talk about peak performance, but actually most of the time they talk about grinding, just keeping an average level that's acceptable to your boss day in, day out. That's not peak performance and it wouldn't be recognized as such in a performance yeah. sport or in, in actually in, in, in an acting environment. Well, I think it's interesting. So it's really easy in my mind, just with a, a sports background to think about what recovery actually does for me in terms of how I perform in the gym, how I perform in the game. But, you know, I feel like how, what should, what are, what are some key signals that someone could recognize that, okay, I'm, I'm trying this PQ thing out. I'm trying recovery out. What, what will they see? What differences do you think they'll see in their working day that help actually like validate that, okay, this is good. And this is better for me than. Right, we've got, we've got people who've reduced their working hours consciously. They've just said, I'm going to work shorter hours because I need to factor some, 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 I need to rebalance my working day. So that's one thing. We have people who are taking naps, two hour, uh, half hour naps at lunchtime. We have people who are um, changing the time they go to bed. You know, li literally they're moving their bedtime forward by an hour and a half and changing their routine. Uh, we, we're having people who are consciously restructuring their diet so that there is far less um, inflammatory content particularly in the evenings so it's it's again once they get once you get your pq profile and your issue is identified you know if we identify that you have very poor quality sleep we measure three things in sleep we look at duration which everyone's obsessed with but it, you know eight hours of poor quality sleep is not 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 a great deal of value yeah we measure performance which is your ability to deliver recovery in quantum and then we we do, we, we measure recovery volume, how much volume of recovery you actually deliver, hours of, of, of recovery. And for some people, they just have poor quality sleep because they have poor sleep hygiene, they have poor practice. And probably in most cases, the biggest driver is they carry too much stress during the working day into their sleeping environment. So their body is used to carrying sympathetic dominance into sleep and they, and they carry on as if they were awake. So 
there are different issues which we have eight parameters which we measure people by. Usually you focus on two, you know? Um, I mean, we, we, we correlate this data with people self-reporting around things like creativity, interpersonal relationships. We had a, a 60 year old senior investment banker, brilliant client guy, you know, all about the solutions for his customers, advising CEOs and the rest. When we measured him, it, he needed on our metrics, just over eight hours of sleep of the quality he delivered to be able to perform close to, to optimal. He only delivered one night of that. On the night he slept four hours, because he was one of those sort of highly motivated, long hours working guys, his creativity score was 20%. On the night, self-reported, on the night he slept eight hours, the next morning his self-reported creativity was 80%. So there is a perfect correlation between the volume of sleep he got and his ability to do his job. So the answer is, well, if you, if you have a five hour sleep, you're gonna do a pretty poor advisory job unless you get some more recovery into the day before you see your customer. It's just a natural flow. Uh, and if, you know, talking about your sport, it'd be the same thing. If you had a, an athlete and you knew they ran one second a lap slower, if they've had six hours sleep relative to eight, you'd do everything you could to get them sleeping the eight hours. It's, it's a logical, process and this individual changed his sleep habits specifically to to address that issue uh it, it it seems like awareness and that data element right that contextualized information that someone can get from actually measuring their profile is it's the first and it's the biggest step because I think it's not that anyone has to do anything really special or distinct. It's really just these essential things like sleep well, which seems like again and again, it's a consistent, uh, like it's just fact. It just, it's correlated perfectly. Like you said, you sleep better, you perform better. Um, but people but, don't know what good sleep is. You know, yeah. they, they don't know what it is. You only know what your sleep is. And one of the things that we do is we show where well, you sleep worse by 20% relative to benchmark. So every, you know, we, we had another executive who, who has a phenomenal recovery platform, the best we ever had. I mean, he, he, he's got the profile of Roger Federer or, you know, just a, a phenomenally honed athlete, which means that he wakes up every morning feeling the world is fantastic. He doesn't see the world that you and I see. He feels... 100% recovered, recharged, and ready to go. Now, you can imagine, he's a senior manager. Someone brings him a problem, he may not see it the same way. His empathy level, and this is one of the issues, is low because, so this individual learned that one of the first things is that he doesn't see the world the same as the people who work for him. So he needs to cut them some slack, and he also needs to listen to them about what they need because what he needs is definitely not the average. It'd be like, you know, it's why some very, very brilliant sportsmen are very bad sports coaches because they just don't understand why it's difficult to get to the level that they just perform intuitively. Well, that's a genetic inheritance and you can't do anything about that. But it doesn't mean as a manager, you can't listen. And the, and the key thing is to recognize, to use data to challenge the narrative you've told yourself. You know, we've got people say, oh, I'm a 10 out of 10 sleeper. No, you're a four. You want to know what 10 out of 10 feels like? We can show you. <laughs> By the way, you'll be a different person 
but at the same time, there are sacrifices to be made. These are trade-offs. Yeah. So say someone is at a physiological deficit and they see that it, they probably, their eyes probably get bigger than the head and they want to do what's the biggest, uh, most impactful thing I can do. How do you help your clients or how could a manager of a team help their, his team members, right? His subordinates, uh, adjust behavior realistically so that one, they don't run into a wall and think, oh, this doesn't work. I'm just going to go back to my old habits. Um, how much of what you're doing is about habit transformation and, uh, and building keystone habits and whatnot? One, one of the things we emphasize to managers is that this is about self-management. So this is not about pushing down a diktat. It's about saying, we're going to give you resources like Leon. This is a platform for you to understand where you are. Now use it, take ownership and communicate. So, you know, one of the things, one of the things that's very important is if you're going to make change is to communicate to those around you what it is you're prioritizing. So if you say, look, I've realized that sleep is the primary issue that I've got to address. I'm going to be going home earlier. I'll be in early, but I'm going to be going home earlier as a matter of course. Yeah, or I'm not going to be available on Zoom after a certain time because I need to start calming because I'm prioritizing my sleep. People will understand that. Or if they say, look, I'm never going to be available at 11 o'clock in the morning because that's when I do my run or I go to the gym. That's the best time for me. That's important. I mean, we've measured people who are training in the evening. Their metabolism never calms till two in the morning. Their sleep is badly affected by a, a badly timed exercise routine. So these things are, are all calibrated to an individual taking ownership and then communicating to their partners about how they are going to deliver optimal performance. And I think it's the manager's job to listen to that, be realistic. You know, you don't want people um, abusing the situation. But at the same time, if you give them the space to grow into their responsibility to manage themselves, it's just, you know, it, you'll find that the majority will do a better job at, of managing themselves if you provide the resources to help them. Yeah, yeah. It seems like, uh, you know, maybe work from home was kind of this uh, unintentional first step towards helping people maximize yeah. and, and take, take ownership and, and leverage autonomy over their wellness and their performance. Um, so I, what, what trends are you seeing, Andrew? What, what, are, what are some exciting things that are coming down the pipeline in kind of the world of, you know, high performance, uh, workplace performance that you see? Yeah, I, I, think, I think there are three or four things that I think 2021, 2022 will go to. The first thing is organizations generally are realizing that engagement surveys have a limited shelf life. I mean... They're a great tick box exercise, but they don't change anything. And so they're looking for agents of change, but they're also looking for their managers to manage in a PQ context. So it's not, a, just if you remember that the, the emphasis on emotional intelligence in, in executive development the last 20 years has been very high. The next stage is gonna be showing some physiological intelligence as well. Are you, are you educating yourself? Are you interested in this? And we've, we've seen this, this will parallel what happened in sport. Coaches, you know, if you can imagine what the average 
sports coach was like 35 years ago in terms of their knowledge of physiology and their use of those resources. You know, it, it was, you go for a run and you go down to the bar, you know, who cares? Your time's your time to something which is very different now. Um, and I think we're going to see the same moving into the executive world. So there's going to be much more focus on that. I think on the, on the technology side, you know, there are a lot of very ambitious plans to bring analysis of neurology, a lot of analysis of wearables and the like. Frankly, our experience has been executives have a low tariff threshold. They don't want to give much time up. And frankly, physiology is at the minor end of their priorities. It's always going to be maximum 20% contributor to their performance. And it's the inverse. In, with an athlete, it's 80% of the performance. But just like athletes have used mental, mental conditioning coaches to get that extra performance on the field, we think executive coaches that don't factor in PQ to their workforce analysis, consultancies, you know, the McKinsey's of this world are going to have to factor in PQ because, as, as one consultant said to me, this is an ESG issue now. The S is social, and social doesn't just mean diversity, it means who have you employed? You know, you've got, you know, there are, there are investment banks who are provisioning four or five billion dollars a quarter in compensation pools, right? It's an enormous number. What are they investing in understanding those human beings? You know, they just leave that to them to manage, which to me is an extraordinary concept. So I think, I think structural investment in human beings is going to become a growing theme. Just as, you know, if you're an oil refiner, you have to insure your property, you have to service all the technology and all the rest of it, that same approach to human beings is going to come along. And I think, you know, the starting point is understand what you've got. You know, right before you start saying, right, well, we've got to create superhumans. Yeah, we, we may or may not create superhumans. Just allow existing human beings to be a little bit better. I'll give you one quick anecdote. My colleagues at Loughborough University, which is the number one university in the world for sports science, had the England cricket team back in 2002 turn up for some physical assessments. <clears throat> and in those days, I don't know what it was like in baseball back then, but in those days, cricket didn't do any structured physical training. And the, they put the players through the first initial assessment and they stopped and said, send them back, they need to go just to any gym to get fit enough to be assessed. They're just not in, right? These are professional international sports people, but they weren't in a place that could be assessed alongside an Olympic athlete. They were just in a, they needed to do. So they came back and now they've moved into a much more, actually the England cricket is now centered on the Loughborough campus. What, but, but what I'm saying is for, for your average executive salesperson, just doing a few things more sensibly can make a huge difference to allow them then to move on to that optimization phase. But the gap between where they are today to where they could be with three months of focused self-management, I think for most people could be quite surprising. Yeah, that's fascinating. And again, I think you made it super clear that it just starts with knowing what your baseline is. And I think that alone would probably blow a lot of people away 
you know, I think people day to day recognize that, yeah, my sleep could be better or yeah, I don't eat that great. And sometimes I go to the gym, you know, maybe less than I should, but seeing that data, you know, in aggregate compared against benchmarks, you know, compared against your peers, I think that's compared probably- to what you think. We, we show people their eight and we show them two octagons side by side. One is their self-reported data. And then we show them the HRV data. And on average, the average executive is more than 30% inaccurate in their self-reporting. Now, in elite, you know, we, we can show them world champion sports people who are 5% inaccurate, but they've been trained for 20 years to know their bodies inside out. They know what it feels like to be on a recovery day. They know what it is to be on a stress day, a high performance day, and they, and they, and they calibrate very accurately. Executives have never been taught this, but the truth is that we are all very, very inaccurate. And that's the starting point. If you start self-reporting, you become more accurate pretty quickly because you stop telling yourself stories because a lot of people confront their day and they say, well, I've got to be great today. So I feel great, yeah? Mind over matter. Well, what we're showing them is not so much. Your body's not in great shape. Or alternatively, which is a minority but significant number, your body's in great shape, but your motivation is low, so you're not using it. And that's the real opportunity. There is a group of executives who could do so much more if they wanted to. Uh, and that's a, you know, you can promote them, you can give them more work, and they can grind through it, no problem at all. There are other executives who've got to change their life before you give them an extra load because they're already right at the edge of their capacity. Great. Well, Andrew, um, thank you so much for your time. Just one last question. I don't know if, is there anything on your mind, anything that we, you think we should have asked you today that might benefit uh, those who would be listening? I think, I think with organizations such as yours and your clients, I think the main thing is that this is about more openness being open-minded and, 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 and not judgmental in the way that you approach data. So if you're a manager, there's not a good and a bad data score in this stuff. It's just what it is. And it's an issue to be managed. And I think the area of physiology carries with it a lot of insecurity, a sense of competitiveness. Oh, that person's you know, super fit. You know, I'll give you one. We, we've measured people you know, who are nearly 300 pounds in weight and you'd think they, you know, are very, very unfit. One of them had the recovery profile of an elite athlete, you know, had a resting heart rate of 45. So you can't judge the book by the cover. The truth is don't judge it like that. He had his own issues. He, he actually abused a phenomenal recovery platform. And, uh, and that's why he got himself into a, into a difficult situation in terms of his self-management of his diet. And that's, that's the way we got to that realization that he felt too good to address his issues. And I think that's the point. This isn't about judging people. It's just getting out there, getting confident about confronting data because ultimately it'll support your performance. So organizations such as yours, just encourage people to embrace the numbers and embrace what it can tell you about where there could be a better balance, a more enjoyable workplace, a better management culture, and ultimately better performance and everyone gets paid more.
<laughs> right? That's awesome. Hey, well, thank you again. Um, I this is also fascinating to me, and and you listening to you speak to upcoming trends just kind of was exciting, and it and it makes so much sense with where things are headed and current the current state of you know uh, workplace performance and wellness, and so. Um, you're right on the numbers with that. So again, just thank you for your time. And That's right. I'm going to give you one final thought. Fatigue, yeah. people talk about fatigue, all right, and resilience. Fatigue is a surplus of stress over a consistent period relative to recovery, all right? So just if all your people just take away one thought is if they are consistently stressed and not sufficiently recovered, eventually they will be fatigued. And just like metal fatigues and bends out of shape, your body will bend out of shape and then you will bend out of shape emotionally and intellectually. And that's where we start getting into the mental health space. So manage your body sensibly and you never slip into that accelerated decline. Very important. Fatigue can be addressed by recovery very quickly.